Happy Halloween. Happy World Series Game 4 coming up on FT Live. Ron Krasinski and everyone's favorite dad, Eric Kratz, is dressed up as... Oh, you weren't with us, so you actually can play along here. Do you know what Eric is dressed up as? A chair. Close. That's a good hint for everyone, especially on the pod crowd that's listening right now. It's an empty chair. I'll give you more hints until you get it, okay? It has to do with the postseason. It has to do with an earlier round. It has to do with the wild card round. It has to do with nothing yet. It has to do with a ballpark in this state. The Rays crowd? <laughs> Kratz is a Rays fan. <laughs> Dressed up as a Rays fan for Halloween. <laughs> That's good for you. You're Mr. I love Orlando. dad jokes. We thought you'd like that. No? Yeah. Yeah. Wow, tough crowd. <laughs> Unless you're Randy Johnson I've had and, the, and the feathers. I've yeah. had better. You're, you're comparing your joke to my dad's joke. <laughs> I thought it was it was clever. Good job, Kratz. Thank you, Evil Pumpkin. You know, obviously I've been against competing against Halloween, but it is cool when you get to watch the broadcast tonight and people get after it usually. I don't know how it'll be in Arizona, but – you know, we've seen World Series in the past when it's Halloween and people get pretty creative at the ballpark. Yeah, of course. Should. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're missing trick-or-treating to go to the ball game. Might as well get dressed up and act the fool. They should have trick-or-treating at the ballpark. They probably have if some they, type they, of candy like, set up. I'm assuming the Rangers will for their kids. Like at the hotel, they'll set it up in their yes, rooms. They usually did. Usually do that. the visiting teams, when they're in the hotels, they set up a trick-or-treat or something in the in the hotels that, that allows the kids to still have the experience of getting dressed up and not missing their Halloween experience. So they can tell their friends like when they're older, like, oh, well, what did you do during Halloween then? Oh, it's okay. It's cool. Like dad was in the World Series and we still did it. You know, the teams ran it for us. Very, very nice lifestyle. Yeah, my daughter's my daughter's birthday is October 4th. So it was like she had a, she not Halloween, she had a birthday in Kansas City. She had for the playoffs. She mm-hmm. had a birthday in Milwaukee for the playoffs. And then during the COVID bubble, she had a birthday in San Diego. And so she's she has a boring birthday this year just at her house here in Pennsylvania. Ugh, every boring. year it's like no postseason. Boring. Boring. So on that topic, we'll talk to Mr. Ken Rosenthal, who is on the scene from Arizona, probably not wearing a Halloween costume, but we'll see. He could be dressed up as himself. That's true. And uh, Nathan Hickey and Christopher Troy, uh, Arizona Fall League prospects, will teach you more about what they're bringing to the table. And then later on, Jared Sandler will give us more perspective on the Texas Rangers. So let's charge the damn mound. Let's talk World Series. We were on the post-game show after Game 3, went over what we saw, and then tried to project forward. And first off, tip of the cap, Krasinski had it first on this show. Starting pitchers, Andrew Heaney against Joe Mantiply. Mm-hmm. Nailed it again. Nailed it. If you guys need insight, just let me know. I do. Every day, actually. We have a show for two hours. We can use all the insight we can get. I mean, I feel like I bring it on. How many runs are they going to score today? It's not that kind of insight. Yeah. Boring. I I can give you who's pitching. I can't give you how many runs are going to (laughs) score. If I would have done that, look at my money bags. You'd realize I'm not very good at that. (laughs) It's true. You just told us who's pitching for like four outs total. Between the two? (laughs) Okay, I'll take the over on that, but... Yeah, but I get what you're saying. Is it the right move? Does it even matter? I mean, 
I still think it matters who's starting the game. No? I mean, clearly you're picking a pocket of the lineup. and They're going with lefties. But is there any part of you that says what one of the commenters said on our post-game show last night? Hey, I've seen some really good Dane Dunning in the past. Dude's been a starter for them for most of the season, right? Like, let him get after it. He's certainly been the better performer in the postseason, I believe. Andrew Heaney makes me pretty nervous right now in the playoffs. You guys, what do you think? Well, well no. I think it'll be fine because he's going to be on such a short lease. It's just to it's just to get through the early part of the lineup, and then if he gets if he gives them two innings, plus it'll be interesting to see what the Diamondbacks do because Alec Thomas usually doesn't start when there's a lefty starter. Like there's there's some things that and usually they uh, the third baseman Rivera he started against the lefties Rivera. over uh, Longoria. So it's going to be interesting to see what Lavello does. And then also on the other side, I mean, the Rangers don't really mix their lineup a whole lot. But if Garcia's out, which we're, I'm guessing he's probably going to be out, what do they do with Evan Carter? Because Manta plies for Seager and then Evan Carter, where do they hit him to try to avoid that matchup? You think they're going to move him down in the order? Well, he only had what, I think it was 17 at-bats or something off lefties the entire year, something, mm-hmm. some really low number, and he was like, one for 17 or something crazy? He's definitely going to start in this He's going to start. It's just a matter of where he hits in the lineup. Yeah. To me, they put – if if Garcia's not in, they put Garver hitting third. Do you want Garver constantly hitting third? No, but you're also going to probably pinch hit for him with Grossman later in the game. So, to me, that's that's the play. And, and honestly, AJ, you can tell me if, if you think otherwise, but – they're bringing these two guys out to make sure they are not the team that goes down first. They want to make sure they score first with whoever it is. If you throw Dane Dunning out there and he's got to face Corbin Carroll, it could be one nothing first, first at bat of the game. And to me, you sit there and you go, okay, how do I navigate this lineup? I think Andrew Heaney, we saw I, – I haven't seen it yet, but I guess some places BetMGM has – it at nine and a half is the amount of outs that Heaney's going to get. To me, I think it's going to be under that. But when you come back through, Heaney's going to kind of be that opener. When you come back through, you get an opportunity to let Dane Dunning face the heart of that order one time. And if you don't have to have him face it, to me, Heaney's best, best option is he gets all the way to Cattell Marte a second time. Make him hit right-handed. I guess they prefer that over him hitting lefty, numbers-wise. But And then bring in whoever whoever the next righty, assuming it's Dane Dunning, is going to face Gabriel Moreno. That would be best-case scenario. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't think – I don't think – there's no way Heaney gets nine and a half outs. I just don't see it happening. Agreed. I don't think – I think if he gets one time through, Bruce Bochy will be ecstatic. I mean, Mantiply is a three, a one-inning guy, really, depending on where Carter is and how it goes. Mm-hmm. For me, I, I mean, to me, Mantiply is if they go Simeon, Seager, Garver three, I guess, Carter four, maybe to try to mix it up. You move Young up in the order. I mean, it's there's a lot of questions. Heim, where is he going to hit? Because he's better left-handed. So where do you hit him? But also knowing that, I mean, there's. Plenty of dudes that'll pitch in the game that throw with their right hand. No, I know, but that this is why the opener is such a confusing thing for me because you know this dude's only throwing one inning, probably maybe 
five outs, six outs, maybe yeah. in a perfect world. But teams stack. That's why teams do this. So they stack their lineups and they want this one guy to get through the top of the order and then bring in whoever their bulk guy is. So they don't have to face the top of the order twice. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's, it's, yep. it's, it's it, the strategy of this is what's interesting. Do I love the opener? No, I wish we had a, wish we had two starters that we could say, Hey, it's Andrew Heaney versus Mantiply. And he's going to, tr- they're both going to try and go seven innings and work about worry about that strategy. Instead, we're worried about like, where do we hit Evan Carter? Because this guy's only going to get so many outs. It's just, yeah. it's kind it, of mind numbing. It, it puts strategy, you know, it brings more strategy, but it also yeah. aesthetically is not there. That yeah. was my thing with the, you don't care. So what? Joe Mantiply was an all-star last year. He's going to go up and face the Rangers' top three guys in their lineup. That's that's what this narrative is. Yeah, we can say, oh, I want to have this guy throwing. But look at the teams. Look at every team in the playoffs. Nobody has a fourth guy that they're like, we're going for it. We're going for that fourth guy. So to me, it's just about matchups. It's more of a pitch-to-pitch game. And I, I kind of enjoy it. The Orioles had those guys. They had four? Yeah. They went Radish, from- Rodriguez, Gibson, and uh, Kramer. Kramer. There's four. They would have thrown Gibson out there. They just didn't make it very far. So maybe they shouldn't have had four. They didn't even get to their fourth. They lost the first three, so it didn't Yeah, there's, there's other GMs that are like, ha, ha, ha. Look how smart we are. This should have been bullpenning. I mean, the Braves had four until they all got hurt. Right. Strider, Freed, Morton, Elder. Yeah. Everybody's right. right. Right until they he got hurt. Yeah, got hurt. Everybody says they love Game Seven. This game is going to be a Game Seven. It's going to be managed like a Game Seven. If we go extras, you might see a position player pitch. No, no, I know no, it's not. But these not. dudes. But look at what look at how Texas is lining up. They're not going to have any long guys, and they're going to run this. Let's say they take a two zero lead, two nothing lead. They're going to run all their long guys out there, and if they keep working them, by the end, like the Phillies the one night when they went into – did they go into extras? When Lorenzen pitched. They had Lorenzen and and Taiwan Walker left. Like that's how you're going to be able to withstand a extra inning game. There's a chance you don't have anybody left. You could say Martin Perez. Yeah, Bochy's better like than that. that. I mean, Martin Perez is that guy for you. Yeah. So he won't pitch after Dunning? They won't no, go Haney. He, he might. He no, might no, no. But I, I mean, depending on the score. Yeah. But I highly doubt that Martin Perez, and I love Martin Perez, a great, great guy, great ex-teammate of mine. But he's that guy. He he's was that guy in game. Started. He was that guy in game two. Yeah. He's a five, right? Yeah. He's a number but five. But I mean, started. according to Kratz, he made the all-star team. Didn't he make the all-star team last year? No, that's Mantiply. Mantiply oh, did. No, didn't Martin Perez make the all-star team last year or this year? Uh, Definitely not, not this year. Not this year. Maybe last year. He had that. He had an unbelievable year. So that makes him. I mean, if you if you, you know, according to what Kratz said about Mantiply, that makes him a Hall of Famer. He was an All Star last year, See? right? He had a sub three ERA as a starter. I, I mean, he had a better year. He was more deserving. No offense to Mantiply, but Mantiply had a four and a half ish ERA this year. Last year was close to three. And if you ask most fans, baseball fans, not casuals, baseball fans, who was the Diamondbacks representative? In the All Star Game last year, I would say about two percent of them. I wouldn't have guessed that. Fans get it right. I wouldn't have guessed that. No. I remember when it was a story last year because it always pops up. It's like, well, should everybody be invited to the All Star Game? You know, should a 
player represent each team kind of thing. You have Joe Mantiply. You know, it always pops up with with you know a reliever, like a middle reliever. I feel like the Tigers have had that pop up a few times where it's like an okay reliever, mediocre reliever, but whatever. I mean, my, my point is, I mean, nobody, what'd you say? Great teammate. Joe Mantiply, great teammate. So I was happy for him. Oh, Everybody I'm happy for him. In. I'm just saying, I mean, you're you're not looking at the pitching matchup this morning like, oh man, I can't wait to tune in. It's Mantiply v. Heaney. Let's go. We're going to remember this for the rest of our lives, Dad. I mean, you still might, but you know, it's like, Mom, it's Mantiply Heaney tonight. We can't go out for Halloween. So, whatever. We'll see what happens. But, I mean, yes, it's fine. It's one game. If it was every game, I would be pretty pissed. You know, if it's it's game four, okay. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, but then I don't love the again, way. It, then tomorrow goes Gallon of Aldi again. Yeah, yeah. So, whatever. It's fine. It changes things up. So, charge the mount. Powered by Teza. Teza on the desk right now. Use the discount code FOUL, F-O-U-L, for 20% off your first order at TezaEnergy.com. If you're into dip, get off of it. No nicotine, no tobacco. Teaser right there for you. FT Senior Insider Ken Rosenthal with us on the scene in Arizona for World Series Game 4 coming up. Happy Halloween, Ken. What are you dressing up as? Is everyone dressing up for the Fox broadcast? I'm dressing up as this little bow tie guy who appeared on television. <laughs> that's that was AJ's prediction, wasn't it? Yeah, well, that's a good call, AJ. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have much choice, you know? Yeah. What? I mean, okay, what would... What would the Fox people do if you showed up as like a ghost and you had like a sheet over you with like the eyes cut out and like, you know, or something like, like that? A witch or a, like witch or clown, a warlock or a troll or something? I don't know, AJ. I've never actually considered that possibility. You should. You should. <laughs> I don't know that I should. You should tonight. I don't think Ken's the guy that's going to like test the boundaries there. Like I feel like maybe Smoltz shows up with a wig or, you know, something <laughs> like that. That's more, that's more his shtick. Anyway, Ken, when you wake up this morning... Do you, you know, look at the pitching matchup again and go, ah, Heaney versus Mantiply. Can't wait. And we were just joking about, like, hey, there's mostly starters, but this is a bullpen game. Are you okay with it because it's just one game here in this World Series? Or are you like, eh, it's not a great selling point for our sport? Well, it's not a great selling point for our sport, but by now fans and everyone should be accustomed to this. This is not anything shocking. And the fact of the matter is teams don't have enough starters to get through three or four rounds of a postseason in general. So this is where we are as a sport. The commissioner has talked about cutting the staff sizes down further, going from 13 maybe to 12, as a way to bring back the importance of starting pitching. That needs to happen. And we need to have marquee matchups again more often rather than bullpen games and openers and all the things that we're going to see and have seen in recent years. But as far as waking up shocked, no, I wasn't waking up shocked. This is the reality of the sport right now. Ken, isn't this on development, though, from teams? Uh, we've talked to every manager. We had Tito Francona. He was going off about this, you know, when last game when I had Cleveland. And a lot of the managers and a lot of the people you talk to say it's development. The people, the players, and the, and the pitching staffs aren't developed the same way. And then you get deep in these postseason. We kind of had the argument earlier, like, how many teams have a true fourth or fifth starter well, there's teams that have them, but they just got – like Baltimore had them, they got knocked out. The Braves had them, they got hurt. You know, the, So there are teams that can do it, but now it seems like because teams can get farther because of this with the short series and the off days and everything, this has just become the norm, and they don't want to develop the true marquee starting pitchers. 
Well, you have to incentivize it, AJ. And look at the way the new rules came into play in this season, right? Because the game was not entertaining enough, because the people in charge of the game thought it was a problem, the way the game was being played, they made changes. The pitch clock was one. What you have to do with pitching is something along a parallel track. You have to incentivize starting pitching. Right now, you're right, AJ, player development is a problem. Why? Because they emphasize velocity and throwing as hard as you possibly can rather than actually pitching and getting through the order a third time, right? You can run through pitchers left and right, and teams do, because they're not incentivized to do anything else. So to me, what has to happen in the future is indeed a further reduction in the size of pitching staffs. And it's not easy to do that because you risk injuries, right, with asking guys to do more. But the development process has to change. All of this has to change. The thinking has to change. And only then can we get back to the point where starting pitching was paramount again. When are we going to find out if Scherzer, not as much Scherzer, but is there, a, is there a deadline as far as when they have to have their lineups in by? I know it's like a courteous thing, but to see if Adolis is going to be able to play tonight. I would expect, Eric, there'll be an announcement sometime well before the game. They had given him an MRI last night, as we know. They were expecting the results last night. So then from that point, it's just a matter of figuring out, one, if he is injured, how you're going to adjust the roster. And if he isn't, you want to maybe take as much time as possible just to see if he can play tonight, if he needs one day, whatever the case might be. So it's not a deadline per se. I imagine they have to have some decision by, I don't know, 3 o'clock Eastern just because you have to play the game tonight. But it's not as if they have this clock ticking on them. They just kind of have to figure out where Adolis is. And he didn't look good last night. Guys recover, we know that, but side injuries are also difficult. We know that as well. So I'm not necessarily anticipating good news, but certainly, like everyone else who loves the sport, hoping for good news. Ken, Alfonso Marquez had a little bit of a rough go of things. In It's, it's not the accuracy number. I mean, it is, but it isn't. But it's when those misses happen. Those misses sure. happened at a tough time. For him yesterday and of course you have d-backs fans flipping out and not just the ones that were in the ballpark because people were furious on social media thoughts did you feel that when you were there too from everyone like Man, we just can't have this happen where it's this far off the plate i of course agree with that and umpires are human they make mistakes and if alfonso marquez had a great grade which i don't know that he did for the first eight innings he certainly didn't in the ninth so I asked MLB today exactly, again, just for clarification, how the umpires are chosen. Because I know a lot of people are wondering this. Why aren't the best umpires on the field? And what they base it on is regular season performance, situation handling, communication and conflict resolution, and rules enforcement, which this season is particularly important because, of course, there are a number of new rules. And yes, experience is a factor. Now, this crew has two crew chiefs. Bill Miller and Alfonso Marquez, and five umpires who are umpiring in the World Series for the first time. So clearly, they got there on merit, right? Obviously, this is never going to be solved completely. I don't know that robo-umps will solve it completely. You're asking for perfection. Robo-umps are not perfect yet, or at least that's what we've been told. A challenge system is in the future. 
it will be helpful because last night a challenge on that Gabriel Moreno strike or ball, I should say, would have been appropriate, right? Actually, it was a, <laughs> it was called a strike, but it was a ball. So it's coming. It's not coming soon enough for any of our likings, but for now, we're just going to have to put up with the humanity of it. And listen, I get it. People make mistakes at critical times in any walk of life. Everybody watching, everybody listening, I believe they've made mistakes in their jobs. I'm not trying to excuse umpires or excuse what happened last night, but that's the reality. That's the human element. And until we get the challenge system, we're going to have to live with this. Listen, Ken, I'm not for robo-umps at all. I'm, I'm totally for this. But, but the stats from last night, Marquez came into the – into the World Series ranked 77th out of 92 umpires that qualified for, for this. So, first of all... But the stats that we use publicly, that we, that we well, see. Yeah. We don't what, see what Major League Baseball sees. I, I, okay. AJ, I'm just telling you. Okay, well, I'm just going off Umpire Auditor, which is kind of the one that right. shows everything, right? right? Kind, of the, kind of the authority on Twitter, I guess you would say, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 77th out of 92 umpires. That's pretty low. I mean, he's not 92nd, yeah. but he's pretty close, right? <laughs> He missed 13 calls in game three, 89.9% accurate. Fifth worst game of the playoffs. There was five worst or four worst games in that. Impressive. And then he also, you know, they said he also is a contender for worst missed call, 3-2 pitch to Nathaniel Lowe, which is right down the middle, and he called it a ball. So I'm not a, a, a person that says, hey, I want robo-umps. Maybe it's more of, of rewarding the guys. And, again, I don't know how they – I mean, you know, Major League Baseball tells you how they pick them. And listen, I've always got along with Alfonso Marquez. But the numbers over the course of a season don't lie. Shouldn't there be a system that is public that we can say, hey, here's the top seven umpires, balls and strikes for the year. Those are the seven umpires. And maybe these guys would focus a little more, work on getting better. Instead, we were like, oh, you're 77th out of 92, Alfonso. Congratulations. You get game three, a pivotal game in the World Series. Again, AJ, I'll just repeat. Those are the numbers that we see from that particular website, and I have no doubt that they are accurate with regard to balls and strikes. But the criteria I just listed for you include not just regular season performance. That was one. Situation handling, communication and conflict resolution, rules enforcement, etc. Again, would it be better if we had public knowledge of everything that Major League Baseball has on these umpires? Of course it would be. We all want transparency, but we're not getting it. And the umpires union probably has something to do with that. So I'm not trying to defend this. I don't want to defend this. I'm just trying to give the explanation for how this works. Clearly, if a guy is 77th out of 92 in ball strikes on one website, which has no agenda, by the way, then... I would wonder what his numbers are with regard to Major League Baseball assessment, but we don't know that. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying too, AJ. It's like, just even if they have totally an internal it. system, you know, like no, just, I totally get what it is. Why can't we make it public though? Why can't? But even that, like, why are we thing? going off of like, oh, you behaved, you didn't get like into an argument with the player? Like, what does that have to do with your performance calling balls and strikes? Like, it, to me, it's way too much. Like, everyone has a medal. I, I get what they're saying. I just don't agree with it. That's my thing, and I'm sure Kratz, you feel the same way. No. Oh, I feel like we are in a league that you talk about it being public. Everybody knows what Adolis Garcia is hitting, but you also know what kind of slump. Longoria was in. You also know what kind of slump Marcus Simi was in. 
And it's a league of the best of the best. And that's what we've created in the playoffs here. To me, I feel like they should be held to a standard of being the best of the best. And I know for a fact, a lot of these umpires, it will raise their level level of play, level of calling, whatever you want to call it. AJ, I mean, Eric, it's something that probably we should look into as journalists, my end of it for another day uh, on another day. I don't disagree with anything you guys are saying, and I don't know that there is a perfect system. I would grant that to MLB and the umpires, but when you have a situation like happened last night, that is not healthy. That's a talking point today that should not be a talking point. We should be talking about Scherzer and Garcia. We should be talking about the brilliance of the Rangers' bullpen last night. We should be talking about Corey Seager and what he did again on a first pitch. All of these topics are more baseball prominent than umpires, or should be, but they aren't. And this is a big topic today, which I understand, and it should be. But that is what baseball has to deal with. They need to say, hey, do we really want this? After a World Series game, do we really want the discussion the next day to be about a missed call or several missed calls in a World Series game? I don't think they should want that, and they don't want that, but they need to address it. Yeah, spot on. So let's get back to the field-ish. So on fair territory, you took us behind the curtain a little bit on what your average day is like, which includes the manager meetings, which we talk about a lot on this show because you always gain great insight, whether it's for that particular game or just knowing the person, the manager, whoever it is in general. So I'm just curious of the several manager meetings that you've had so far in this World Series or if you even want to go further back to prior in the postseason, how have... Tori Lovello and Bruce Bochy been like, do they seem, I mean, Bruce has been here plenty of times. So are, are they calm? Are they talking about other topics? Right? Like I even just remember like last year, I'm, I'm, it was it last year, the year before, whatever, when I'm in manager meetings, like Dusty Baker's there and you end up just you know, talking about something else for 15 minutes, you get like five minutes on the game and then he's got just some crazy stories and he also just wants to chill, but just curious about any insight that, that you've gotten from those two, how they've been and how those combos have gone. Bruce Bochy and Tori Lovello are quite different, and quite different in age, quite different in sensibility, but both are interesting to talk to, of course, and Bochy's been there, done that. He talks baseball with our guys. Tim and Smoltz obviously get into some particular game situations at times. We ask him a, dumb, a number of questions, and he answers. It's pretty simple. He's a pretty honest guy. Lovello's been interesting here because... I thought maybe he would be uptight. It's been the opposite. He is totally enjoying this. He might be the most talkative of any manager in the game right now. He loves to talk. He gives stories in great detail. And he is just savoring the moment, which is cool because it's the biggest pressure he's ever been under as a manager. And he was never under this kind of pressure as a player. Bochi, you would never know he's under pressure because he just has that cool collected way about him, sees all, knows all, and just kind of carries himself that way. But Lovello, it's his first experience, and he's definitely making the most of it. Mm -hmm. And do you think that for Tori, the way that he talks can kind of resonates with his players? Because, you know, he talks a lot about, like, I guess things that are off the field. He's got all his sayings and, you know, love and respect and, and all of that, which... Honestly, I, I don't really feel like I hear a ton from managers these days. Like, they almost feel like some of that could sound like fake 
But do, do you know what I'm saying? Does it come across the right way coming from him? And do his players respect that? Yes, they do. And the culture that they've built with this club is pretty impressive. A lot of teams talk about culture and building a positive environment and accountability and collaboration, all the baseball buzzwords. The Diamondbacks have done it. And it's interesting. I'll give you a couple of examples. His conversation with Tommy Pham after he benched Tommy Pham for Game 5 of the NLCS, that was an honest, heartfelt, direct conversation. And at the end of it, him and Pham were okay. You saw Tori Lovello and, and Merrill Kelly get into it during the NLCS when he pulled Kelly from, it was game six, I believe, after five innings. They had an honest, open exchange. And even last night, Christian Walker, the base running mistake he made going through the stop sign at third base, Lavello made a point on the broadcast and afterward to say he was immediately accountable for it, and that's what we want here. He owned it. So there is something going on there in a positive way. And Tom Verducci, who is working that side of the field, I'm on the Rangers side. Tom says you can see into the dugout. He talks to players as much as any manager that he's seen during a game. And it's clearly paying off for them. How was the Evan Carter interview for you in the dugout, too? Just curious. Like, you got a rookie. I actually thought that, you know, you could see where the calm, cool, collected, I'm fine playing in a postseason when I've barely been in the bigs comes from. Because he seemed genuinely excited, not nervous, gave you his, you know, whatever it is. It's quick, right? It's, it's 30, 45 seconds, whatever it is. But he didn't seem like he was rushed, unfocused. It's like, yeah, sure. I'm going to talk to Ken for 40 seconds. I'm going to have a good time. And we're going to go back to, you know, being a veteran-like player, even though I've been in the league for a second. It's amazing. This guy, I am astonished by him. A number of the Rangers veterans don't want to do those in-game interviews. And he is totally comfortable with it. He doesn't care. He's like, okay, this is fun. <laughs> I'll talk about whatever you want to talk about, and let's go. And from the very first interview I did with him this postseason, I believe it was in the division series, the vibe he has given off is one of pure enjoyment. He is loving being part of this, loving being in the playoffs, loving being in the big leagues. He just got to the big leagues in early September. And it's really refreshing to see that. Obviously, any player who gets promoted late in the season is going to be thrilled to be there. But he's not only thrilled to be there, he's performing at an extremely high level and conducting himself like a veteran in doing so. Ken, who chooses what dugout you get to sit in? Do you and Verducci play Rochambeau? Do you guys flip a no. coin? Or do you guys no, – because no, do you, do you, no. will you stay with the Rangers the entire time? And Tom that's has what, that's what has happened. Yeah, I've been with the Rangers since the division series, so we just kind of agreed to keep it that way as we went through. Oh, you pulled your seniority card out on him, and you're like, I, poof, I've been with Fox longer, so I get to pick my team. I see how it is, Ken. I get it. I love how AJ's trying to stir it up all the time. None of the things that you ever mentioned are actually true, but keep going, man. <laughs> AJ wants to create this, like, TV drama, right? Almost like, you know, like morning show. I don't know right, if you've I seen mean, that, any of those kind of shows. I mean, we get like, a little drama maybe when AJ's part of the crew, but we're not getting that. <laughs> exactly. I'm sure you're just a blast for, for everyone. Dude, Ken's working with me. I don't ask for anything. Ken, I know. Ken will tell you, I don't ask for nothing. If anything, I ask for Ken to talk more so I can talk less. <laughs> AJ, it's a pleasure to work with on this show and on the broadcast. Ken should dress up as Tom Verducci and... Verducci should dress up as Ken and then switch dugouts. That's a bad trade for Verducci, I think. 
Yeah, the bow tie action. I don't know if Tom's ever worn a bow tie, but and yeah, good luck. I, I don't feel like I think I could. I've known Tom for a long time. Not really sure he's a Halloween guy either. You, you tell Tom, <laughs> hey, World Series. Do you want to dress up too or focus on the game? I think we know what the answer is going to be. He's, he's pretty biz, you know. Yeah, I would say so. Well, Ken, appreciate the time. Obviously, I know there's a ton of stuff going on right now for you, but really enjoying obviously hearing and, and um, seeing you on the broadcast. So. Um, have fun for game four and we'll uh, talk to you soon. All right. Thanks guys. Happy Halloween, AJ. All right. Ken. Wait, well, oh, he left, didn't he? He's gone, didn't he? Ken, are you gone? He's gone. Oh, he he gone. Bastard. What did you want to say? Go ahead. While we're looking say, at the should fair wear, territory. should wear a gray suit, white shirt, and a red tie. It could be Pee Wee Herman. Great. Tequila. Fair territory is up there for you right now. It was just released before game three. So if there's a few things that feel a little dated, um, it's all good. I would say there's a lot of info that's worth listening to on there or watching. It's up here on the uh, Foul Territory YouTube channel as well. A reminder to everyone watching right now, you can also watch us later after game four of the World Series. So we'll see what happens. Then we'll talk through it. The FT World Series post-game shows, the ever so popular. FT postgame shows. So let's get smarter for a second here, okay? We'll keep it nice and simple for you. Yes, the Players' Choice Awards category breakdown is sponsored by Candy Digital. And today we are breaking down the AL Outstanding Player Finalists. And this is going to be the easy runaway category of the year. Yandi Diaz deserves to win this award over Shohei Otani and Corey Seager. And it really shouldn't even be close. I mean, he can definitely bench press and do bicep curls much better than both of them. Actually, I couldn't even say that. Who knows? Shohei Otani might be like a bodybuilder. We don't really know much about him. So, But anyway, in all seriousness, I think there are probably some players that voted for Corey Seager in this category. Do you believe that? Or do you think Shohei just completely destroys the competition? Shohei's going to win. I know he's going to win, but I'm, I'm Corey, trying to Corey Seager made a get run some of, insight Corey, on what the, the players Corey think. Seager didn't miss that month in the middle of the year. His numbers, they're a little bit short of Shohei's right now. But you put that extra month in there, and, and 33 becomes 40, 96 becomes 115-ish. You're looking at a guy that had a really good year. That 6.9 war with his defense probably jumps to about eight, almost 8-ish eight with another month in there. I, I think that, man, you could make a case at Corey Seager because, again, Shohei missed the last month of the year too. So you could make a, a case that – because of the defense, and I know everyone's going to say, oh, Shohei pitches. I get it. But it, it, it should be closer than what it's going to be, but, I mean, Shohei's going to win. He, he, but if, if it was completely explained, and I'm going to go player's point of view here, they're going to look at it and say outstanding player, and later on down the list see outstanding pitcher and been like, wait, does this mean outstanding player? Like MVP? Does this mean – and they're going to already have – put Shohei in. But if this is an outstanding position player, Corey Seager can, even with the shortened season that he had, because Shohei didn't play the entire season, he plays a premium position compared to Shohei only DHing. Now, if you take Shohei's entire body of work, yeah, it's obvious. But to me, I think it's closer if you actually look at the fact, and this might be a question that we should ask our next guest that voted, some, some American League player that actually was voting in this, 
because maybe they looked at it as ah, the best overall player instead of just the best position player. I think I think Seager may have the edge. Well, that, my question is, is okay, so I know that this is supposed to be only hitting. So Shohei made – Only got, position player. Okay, position I understand. Player. But does Shohei's 10 war, that doesn't count pitching? No, it does count pitching. It does. Oh, so then you, then let's – I want to know what his war was just as a position player. I can get Hang that on. for you. Okay. You're going to pull it then, up? Then that Because everyone goes off strictly off war. It, it's good, but this is this is the reason to have war. Like nobody's like, man, you know, I've had a tough week. I know my war went down. No, you know, it's, it's how do you compare sh what Shohei does on the mound to compared to how what Corey Seager does in the field? You know, well, I'll tell you what, I'll take Corey that. Seager at shortstop every day other than show. I mean, I'll take Corey Seager playing shortstop, especially the plays he's made in the postseason and what you watch him play a gold glove possibility to win the gold glove. That's that. I mean, listen, so I know, I know Shohei pitches once every six days. But the, the defense that Corey Seager and the stability in the two-hole that he brings just means <laughs> – sorry. Can't help himself. <laughs> but You're on your own on that one. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just heard Kratz laughing at me. <laughs> but the stability that he brings every day when he's out there means a lot. I, I know it's not Shoei and Shoei's the name and Shoei's going to – I think this is should be closer than what we think it is. Wait, but also, yeah, just simplify this. So I'll give you two options. Number one, if Shohei Otani is not pitching, do you want Otani or Seager, right? If Otani is just a DH and Seager is who he is right now, plus the shortstop position, who do you want? Number two, and this is more geared towards how the voting should go, if you look at the seasons for both players and you completely take out Shohei Otani's pitching, which player should be the winner of this award? That's what I'm saying is, yeah, it's, mm. it's probably pretty close, no? If, if not potentially giving it to Seager. I mean, it's close. I, I mean, some Otani's people are going to look at Otani's shortstop. numbers are better. They're definitely better. But the thing and he is, played for me, more, the, but not that the, much more. 135 to 119 on games. But, but the thing for me is, Otani doesn't play the field. And I, I, okay, I, so here's your ballot, right? Okay. Here's your ballot. Who are you voting for this year? You're, you're, you're one of the players, and that's what this mm. awards Gosh. system is all about. I'd go here. I'd hand it to the PR guy and be here fill this out for me. No, that's messed up. <laughs> Don't do that. I'm giving it right back. Are, are we role-playing right now? No. Oh, my gosh. I'm Crouch, not allowed to say that word for the right rest now? of the week. Shocker. Yeah. You, oh. there's, your, mm. there's your paper. Corey Seager. Uh, here's what I – you know what? And people are going to go ahead. Bring it. I don't care. I would vote for Corey Seager this year. Okay. Only because he plays shortstop and he plays it at such a high level and his team made the playoffs. And to me, that matters. Oh, okay. Tani can win it every other year. Well, thank you. Actually, unfortunately, since I am the PR guy and you already let me fill it out, I did Yandy Diaz and I submitted it. What? <laughs> you said I could I mean, Yandy Diaz had a great year, but <laughs> I know, it's he's, he's, he's going to finish the distance third. Correct. It's not close. But I'm happy I, you got on the ballot because otherwise he'd take his biceps and go, my biceps are bigger than Scott Braun. He's a big friendly giant, though. He is a big, friendly, soft giant. Yes. He is tremendous. Who are you but voting he, for, Kratz? I, I mean, I, I, I still say, like, what Seager did is amazing, even in the shortened time that he did it. And I think this might be something going forward. It needs to be – like, because if – if let's say, let's say we vote for Seager and everybody agrees with us and Seager wins it, Shohei's not winning the number one pitcher. He's not winning the most outstanding pitcher in the American League. 
So we have a year when Shohei Otani has a historical season. As players, we didn't vote him in for a single award. Like, we have to figure out Well, there's how... other awards, though. There's other... I mean, that's why there's a number of different awards. I like the variety but, that this brings. It's not just the same awards over and over. Plus, he could win the best overall, the outstanding player in all of baseball, right? Which I think will. is really cool that we have that. No, he I mean, will. it's him against... I mean, Acuna is one of the finalists, and I got to find someone will let me know in the next two seconds who the other finalist is. But so second place, third place, whoever the other finalist is, third place. According to according to Fangraphs, Shohei's WAR just hitting was six point six, which is lower than Seager six point nine. Okay. I, I mean, again, these are the stats or the stats. Mookie, by the way, is the other one on the top three there for the finalists. But it also most outstanding overall. According to Baseball Reference, Shohei's, Shohei's defensive war was negative 1.1. How does he have a negative defensive war? He's a bad pitch. He's a bad fielding pitcher. You get bad dinged for pitcher? being a DH. No, you get dinged for being a DH. That's It's stupid. But they subtract points. For every game you DH, they subtract points. For real. It, I, I don't know if it's for every game, whatever it is. I know points are subtracted. Yes. Oh, and this day's old when I found that out. Yep, exactly. Now Kratz is like, all right, throw it out the window. Not Everything I knew is just thrown out the window. But Yeah, sorry about it. If you're starting a team with one hitter, do you take Corey Seager, this year's Corey Seager, or this year's Shohei Otani? I'm taking Corey Seager because he plays the field. He said, wait, you're saying a position player or just mm-hmm. the, the I'm taking Corey Seager because he plays shortstop. Oh, I don't even think it's close. If, if Shohei's not a pitcher, then I want Seager – if he's a shortstop and Otani's nothing, what if what if Otani's a right fielder? I How good is it. he? I got to see it. Is he, he he rolls? He's got a hose. He can run fast. Uh, next team assigns him might find out he doesn't want to pitch anymore, and they might might have to be a right fielder. Yeah, five hundred and fifty million dollar right fielder. Hmm. He's bets range in a Dolis arm. Then who do you want? <laughs> I mean, he's he's more like Hunter Renfro's arm. So let's be honest. Hunter Renfro's arm. No, I want Hunter Renfro throws like a hunch. Yeah, he does. He does. But I saw they showed the hardest throwing balls, and Adolis was second last night. The one he threw out. Uh, what was that? Like playoff stats? In the or playoffs. Uh, yeah. Whatever yeah. they showed. I don't know. I didn't read it that closely. All right. Anyway, if you want what more, more of this, <laughs> <laughs> more of this banter, uh, plus the actual award show itself is going down soon. Thursday, the off day, you'll be crying because there's not a game. But we will premiere the Players' Choice Awards, sponsored by Candy Digital, on the Foul Territory YouTube channel. 7 o'clock Eastern Time, an FT special. You can only get it here. And Candy is your official destination for MLB Digital Collectibles. You can collect, buy, sell, and earn rewards like meet and greets with MLB stars. There's game-used gear, signed memorabilia, and the special offer for the FT fam. Okay? Candy is get, giving you a free MLB team pack to start your collection. Just go to go.candy.com slash pack. Again, go.candy.com slash pack. Or if you're watching right now, instead of listening, QR code is on your screen. Just hit that, hit the link. And you can also check out the link in the show notes to sign up and get your free team pack. We've got them. We'll show up our collection later on in the week. We'll go to Jared. Let's go to Jared. Jared Sandler joining us right now, um, and you can give him a follow too uh, at Jared Sandler. 
um, number of, of jobs. You can look them all up, including um, a lot of work covering this team on a daily basis. Does a great job. Uh, proud member of, of the FT guest fam. Jared, good to see you, dude. Happy World Series. Um, obviously, these are great times for fans in Arlington. So where do you want to start? You want to start on that with Semyon? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, Jared, uh, let's get right into it. What's going on with Marcus Semyon? Is there any chance that if he you know, continues to struggle like this, something would change? So I, I no, I joked, I, I sent a little tweet and I said we were going to do a live uh, procedure in which I donate my oblique to Adolis Garcia here on the show. I think there's a greater likelihood that in the next 10 minutes that happens than Marcus Simeon not leading off. And AJ, Eric, you guys know there's certain guys uh, there's a, a loyalty or a trust factor that managers have with players. There's a pride part of it, too. Uh, and I, Marcus Simeon ain't going anywhere. Uh, he's had nearly 900 plate appearances as a leadoff hitter this year. They're not going to change it. They need him to get things right, especially if Adolis Garcia is unable to play. You know, they're going to need someone to step up. He's you know a pretty likely candidate. It just seems like, you know, they've People have really tried hard to attack him over the outside part of the plate. He's a very pull-happy hitter. That's how he makes his money. He elevates the ball pull side. And, uh, you know, it's not that he can't hit those pitches because he did during the regular season, but I don't know if it's a timing thing or what. Uh, But the Astros did a great job of it. And the the hit he had yesterday, Arizona tried to beat him inside, and he got them. So it just seems like, you know, as long as you stay away from Marcus Simeon, he's going to – help you do the work, but I, I don't think anything's changing with him in the leadoff spot for this year. Yeah, if nothing changes, though, the Rangers will be out pretty quick. I heard you got on the, the – tell us about getting on the elevator with Adolis here this this afternoon well, or whenever that was, recently here. Yeah, was walking, walking out of the bus, he is at the ballpark, and, guys, I, I think he's going to try and play. Now, he's got to go through some some stuff here, you know, a little workout, whatnot, uh, and, you know, hopefully things go well. I, I don't know that there's any indication whether this is a likelihood or not. Uh, if I had a bet, I, I'd still think that'd be a, a tough one to pull. Uh, but I think he's going to try and give it a go, and we'll see probably in the next few hours when the lineup is out whether or not he's in there. But, I mean, he, he's got this ability to carry a lineup, as we saw against Houston but it's not just that. This team is a really good defensive team. And we saw yesterday how big of a role he plays in that. I mean, his arm has really kind of prevented people from trying to advance. Uh, and I guess Tony Perez Chica tried to hold up Christian Walker, but Christian Walker decided uh, no, sir. And, and that was a game changing play. You know, if Christian Walker doesn't go, it's first and third and nobody out. And who knows what happens? And if Christian Walker is able to score because Adolis' throw is offline or Jonah Hine doesn't receive the throw cleanly, then, again, who knows what happens. Neither team this postseason has lost a game in which they scored first. And getting that first run you know, was uh, a big part of yesterday because Arizona didn't get it, and then right away that very next half inning, the Rangers did get it. What was the injury, by the way, for Adolis kind of late in the year? Because I remember we talked a lot about how the offense looked so different by the time they got to the postseason. He came back pretty quick from that one, didn't he? Yeah, it was a knee injury. He was trying to rob one of those spares on the Astros of a home run. And when he – no, I'm just kidding. I, I think it was Kyle Tucker. <laughs> but when he when he landed, you know, at, at, at Globe Life Field, it's not like Houston where you can just do a bunny hop and you're reaching halfway over the wall. He went, you know, fully elevated – 
and then just didn't land right on his knee. And there was some thought by Adolis, by people at the Rangers, that you know that was going to be an injury that wouldn't just knock him out the rest of this year, but into next year. And thankfully, the scans came back okay. He still was supposed to miss pretty much all the regular season, but he ended up coming back. I mean, he's kind of a physical freak, physical specimen, but that was a knee thing. This is an oblique thing. He's dodged some bullets this year already with, with muscle-related injuries not being as severe as what was initially expected, and hopefully that's the case here. Jared, I've been told by some fans in the chat, including Eddie, who's one of the regulars, that um, you probably hate the Astros more than anyone, LOL. So I heard a little Astros love right there. I mean, we haven't had yeah. you on since that series ended. So your thoughts and really the thoughts of the people out there in the Dallas area who have been waiting for this moment for a while, not just to be good again, not just for the Astros to like not make it to the World Series because they often do. Obviously, they always make it to the LCS. But for them to be the team that knocks them out, I'm sure that has um, lit a spark under baseball in that area. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. I, you know, I just saw a video on Instagram of Alex Bregman uh, playing basketball and t-ball with his son, and I'm just so glad he's got the time to do that because I know in his mind he wasn't going to be free for the next couple weeks. Uh, so I'm just, I'm, I'm. It really warms my heart that he's got some free time now. Now, I, and I say that on behalf of of the DFW fan base. I mean, the reality is this isn't a long-standing rivalry with decades of history. It only really became a rivalry, I guess, when the Astros joined the AL West. But those first two years, the Astros were still in that rebuild mode. 2015 and 2016, this rivalry was fun. And then the Rangers didn't hold up their end of the bargain from 2017 through last season. I mean, I, it was still a rivalry. And, and Houston and Dallas in general don't like forget sports. People from Houston don't really like people from Dallas and vice versa. But this rivalry was dormant until this year. And I just think it's great for the sport. I, I, I think it was awesome that, you know, not only did they meet up in the postseason, but it went seven games. And, you know, thankfully, I, I'm glad everyone was healthy. I, I'm, you know, the Brian Abreu hitting Adolis Garcia kind of, it, it was almost like guys on both sides were trying to be on their best behavior and say the right things and not stoke the fire. But then Adolis got hit. He turned to Maldonado. Maldonado claimed that it woke them up and, you know, all of a sudden the war of words really started. And that was great. I think it was great for the sport. Uh, and, you know, obviously I'm, I'm happy the way it, it ended with the Rangers winning. And it was awfully nice to do it in Houston and watch that ballpark clear out. But uh, the, the fact is Rangers fans have been slapped in the face over and over by Astros fans because they haven't had the upper hand to, you know, to, to play in this rivalry for the last several years. But now I'm hoping that at least for the next few years, this can be a pretty competitive uh, rivalry uh, and, and maybe the Mariners find their way in it. But within the state of Texas, I'm hoping uh, that this is fun. I also have some laundry that needs to get done because we've been on the road. So if Martin Maldonado would like to do that, I'm happy to give him my address uh, because he's wow. got some free time as well. Wow. Okay. Can I say I'm surrounded by catchers? Maybe I shouldn't have gone the Martin Maldonado route. I, I apologize. I, I, I need to know, uh, you know my company a little bit better. He's bringing wow. it, though. He's bringing wow, it. Wow, I like it. I like the trash talking I from the radio it. guy. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, I, I, I had some really good at-bats this series, guys, and or that series. I clearly feel uh, – I feel like, you know, I, I really earned it, right? I, I You know, with yeah. all that I contributed to that win. You, you, you earned that American League championship ring you have right now. It's, it's, That's right. It's well-deserved. Yeah. Jared, uh, we, we do the Players' Choice Awards here, and 
I was arguing for Corey Seager over Shohei Otani. We're trying to figure out a way for him to win this award. And you've got to watch Corey for a couple years now, every day, playing defense. You talked about his defense and how he's a gold glove finalist, and we've seen it in the postseason. How good is Corey Seager, and should he be ranked in the top five to ten players in all of Major League Baseball? Wait, one thing, Jared, I want to add, just so he knows about the award. The particular award that Mm -hmm. we were talking about does not factor in pitching. The AL Outstanding Player of the Year Award is just for what you're doing as a position player. And for Otani, obviously, that's really just what he's doing as a hitter. Yeah. So if you're going to include the defense, then I think that gives Corey the edge. So I I was broadcasting for the the fighting Great Lakes Loons of the Midwest League in 2012 when the Dodgers, uh, they had drafted Corey Seager. He played for the team. Uh, for the loons uh, in in 12 or 13. And from the time he was drafted, people have been trying to move him off of short. And I know a lot of the metrics, you know, tell a certain story. And, you know, I didn't watch him every day when he was with the Dodgers. But what I can tell you is this year, he has been really, really good at short. And he made a big time play yesterday on that double play ball late with uh, Chapman on the mound. And you never really know where that roller coaster ride is going to take you. And, you know, that play was huge. I, I just, you know, is he... Is he Andrelton Simmons at short? No. You know, is he, uh, you know, fill in the blank, like not Omar Vizquel or, or whatever shortstop defensive wizard you want to put in there. But he made just about every freaking play that that came his way this year. And uh, I just I'm glad he got the gold glove nomination or, or finalist recognition, because I, this is a guy who's been knocked uh, over and over for his defense. And I just thought he was outstanding. And then, you know, the offensive stuff was you know, it's pretty similar. They both ended up missing some time. Corey struggled at the end of the regular season. So a lot of his numbers uh, in which he was ahead of Shohei kind of dipped below him. But if it's if you're going to factor in the bat in the field, then yeah, I think you've got to include Corey Seager because he wasn't far behind Shohei offensively. Uh, and it was just, it, it's remarkable, guys. Looking at his numbers, and I know you're probably not factoring this in in the award, but he hits lefties, he hits righties. He hits fastballs, he hits breaking balls, he hits off-speed pitches. I, I don't know how you pitch him. I mean, if it's me, just looking at the numbers, maybe try get him low and away. Uh, and that's kind of what Brandon Fott did in that very first at bat. He went change up off the plate or just, you know, on the fringe, and he was able to get him to roll over. But, you know, Corey Seager's not someone who really has discernible holes right now, and that hasn't been the case, or that has been the case all year. And that, to me, has been what's, you know, in part super impressive. The how fear. do you guys pitch him? Uh, same. That down and away, I think I think you have an opportunity to get a lot of outs. But you know how I get him out? By getting the guys around him out. Yeah. I can't believe they don't pitch around him a lot, and it's tough when a guy swings super early in a count. But to me, Marcus Simeon has to be that team's MVP for me to even throw to Corey Seager. But they keep doing it. No, I agree. And, and, and guys, that's where one of the – like looking at some of the best lineups – you know, the Dodgers one through five this year, probably better than the Rangers. You could say the Astros, same thing. Look at some of the really good lineups where the Rangers made their money was, you know, five through nine, six through nine. And the guys at the bottom of the order getting on base ahead of Simeon when he wasn't struggling, you know, that was a real problem because, you know, Simeon leading off, getting on base with Laoti Tavares, you know, hitting in front of him and, and then Corey Seager. And it made it tough for teams to pitch around him. But that's where, you know, the, it goes back to Marcus Simeon. Uh, where you know his value is so great because it it makes it a problem for 
pitchers and and for Tori Lovello and Brent Strom to figure out what to do. But you know, when Corey comes up in the first inning with one out and nobody on, it gives them a little more freedom and and flexibility. Kratzy, before I forget, can I just tell you it warms my heart. I, I've seen about five of your books on this road trip here in Arizona from players and coaches uh, that, that are opening up, reading them on buses and on planes. It's the coolest thing. And I, I hope you're getting great response and feedback because I think that the book is awesome. I haven't finished it yet. I've started it. But we got a lot of people on Team Rangers who are reading that book. Nice. I appreciate that. That's cool to hear. Yeah, we're getting a lot of ton. I guess the people that don't like it haven't told me. So I'm glad there's a bunch <laughs> of people that do like it. But my last my last question is you were you were calling games for the loons in 2011, but you're now calling games for a fan base that experienced 2011, experienced Nelson Cruz not supposed to be out there and you know not catching that David Freeze triple. What are Rangers fans most afraid of right now? Oh, I, I think Rangers fans, I mean, you can't you and, and I grew up in DFW, right? So when that that Astros dislike and you know acting like I was the ALCS MVP, that's rooted from the fact that you know I, I grew up rooting for this team and 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 suffering like uh, a lot of the fans. And you know you can't say anything about one strike away or one out away or one game away because this organization, I mean, there's a feeling amongst the fan base of being cursed, and you know that that cuts deep. You know, we, we intentionally, the phrase, seriously, one strike away is not something we say very often over the course of a game because the Rangers in 2011 were one strike away twice. And for an organization to get that close and to come up short, you know, it, it hurts. I mean, they haven't won a World Series. And then to see the Astros go and do it twice over the last few years, that cuts, you know, cuts deep as well. So, you know, the Rangers could, you know, obviously the, Astros, the Dimebacks have a win on the board. The Rangers could have been up 3-0 on the Diamondbacks, and this fan base would be wondering, you know, all the different ways it could go wrong. So, uh, you know, this is not a fan base that I think is going to count, you know, the, the the chickens before they hatch. And it's an organization that hasn't won a World Series. And so I think the fear is that if something's going to go wrong, it will go wrong. Adolis Garcia, Max Scherzer walking off the mound. You know, I, I'm sure that the fan base like, oh, gosh, John Gray is going to come in and not because of anything we feel about John Gray, but because of the track record, it's just not going to go well. Uh, and, and John Gray was awesome yesterday. He came up big. But, you know, that's just kind of the, the disposition of this fan base. You know, they, they feel cursed, and they're trying to exercise some demons. And hopefully, you know, one of the coolest things, Adolis Garcia broke David Freeze's record of most RBIs in a single postseason. And so one of the narratives was, hey, this is a sign that we are in the process of exercising the demons of 2011. But, there are demons, and until the Rangers uh, get that final win, those demons are going to be very much at the forefront. Jared, uh, <clears throat> since you've already celebrated your American League Championship MVP, yes. I'm proud of you. Yeah, thank um, you. <laughs> will you be – will this – if, again, I'm going to say giant if, because it's not over yet, if the Rangers win the World Series, will you feel like it should have an asterisk next to it because you guys didn't win 100 games – you didn't win the division, and you had to play the extra round. Since everybody seems to be bitching and moaning that all the 100-win teams lost and are out, so do you feel like if, again, if the Rangers win this, then you guys should forfeit your title to a team that won a 100-game like the Orioles or the Braves and Dodgers? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, for sure. I mean, that's definitely – that's that's how it should always go, right? You should write, you know, <laughs> apology notes to the rest of the league. 
you know, the Rangers beat a team in the first round that won 99 games. They beat the Orioles uh, and they won over 100 games. And I know the Astros only won 90 games, but they're the defending World Series champions. They've dominated the American League and they've dominated the Rangers. Uh, it, the Rangers can't help, obviously, as you guys know, that the Diamondbacks, you know, ended up going through the Brewers, the Dodgers and the Phillies. I mean, I, I don't know what you guys said before the, the postseason. I remember listening to, to some of your conversations, but I know there was a, a pretty strong feeling that while the Braves were the regular season darlings, the Phillies maybe were the team best equipped to come out of the National League. And the Diamondbacks took them to seven. It wasn't like the Phillies suffered major injuries. They didn't lay down or anything. The Diamondbacks won. The Rangers can't do anything about that. And, you know, nothing's guaranteed, by the way, the rest of the series, obviously. But, uh, no, I mean, you don't. You don't get bonus points for for the path you take, and the Rangers did not have an easy path to get here. You know that that whole thing is garbage. I, I understand there are people who wanted an East Coast team. The East Coast bias is real; it exists for a reason. I, I get that. You know the ratings would probably be better if there was you know a New York or Philadelphia team involved. But who the hell cares? It doesn't matter to me whether there are nine million people watching or ninety million people watching. You go through one hundred and sixty-two. You earn your way into the postseason. And this team absolutely has earned their way to get to this point uh, by playing the teams that they've played along the way. Jared, you're great. You're uh, built for this show as a media guest. You are a homer of way. homers. No, that's not what I was saying. <laughs> I love, I love the, uh, the strong Dude, he words. tracked me down for two weeks one time. A- AJ, AJ Dude, stood it was me like, up once. Bro, I got stuff to do, bro. <laughs> A- well, AJ was try- being big TV guy, had to get his makeup yep. done, was too good to go on on the, the Rangers radio network for a pregame interview. Oh. Uh, and I, But I get it. I understand how it is. Yep. Once a Ranger, always a Ranger. You missed uh, it earlier. Right. There was a Red Sox prospect on who, who got <laughs> turned down by AJ at a tailgate to say hello. I, heard. I disagree with <laughs> I that story. It. All right, good shit. Well, Jared, always great to catch up with you, dude. Enjoy this. We'll talk to you after it all goes down but always appreciate having you on dude i appreciate guys thanks so much for having me keep up the great work you guys are the best thing for this sport thank you that means a lot dude means a lot jared sandler obviously you can listen to him on on rangers network and um a number of other spots radio and uh we'll post the rest as we'll post some clips from that conversation all right let's do it let's slap All right, for my slap hands, I have two things. One is Joe West's birthday, my least favorite umpire of all time. I text him happy birthday, and Joe said, how did you find out? Well, you always know when your least favorite umpire's birthday is, okay, mm-hmm. Joe? So pay attention to life. <laughs> and then second of all, Dick Bremer is retiring. Here's the here's a tweet from him. Uh, 40 years with the Minnesota Twins. He was my first TV guy when I got called up with the Twins. He was always there. Twins fans love him. He did a great job for 40-plus years. So congratulations, Dick, on a great run of 40 years and enjoy fishing. And apparently he's getting moved to a front office role. So good for you, Dick. That's awesome. Congratulations on a great run. Congratulations, Dick. That's really cool. That's awesome. I love the picture, too. Kratz hats, what do you got? can't believe I didn't do this one yet. My KC Royals hat. Just a classic. Like, they never really changed their logo. Just... White. What is this thing called? Anybody know what this thing is called on top of the hat? A button. I don't know. (laughs) 
I have no idea. Um, oh, we got, where's oh. this from? ASU? Oh my gosh. This is at Arizona State. Is that Schwarber? What's his sprint speed? <laughs> Mike Wazowski. No, that's, that's not awesome. Mike Wazowski. That's awesome. If you're listening to this on the pod, I encourage you to watch the last. By the way, it's called seconds. a squatchy. Squatchy. Or squatchy. Squatchy or squatcho. I don't know what that is. Is that like a cartoon? I don't know. That's what it says. Bob Brindley. It's been attributed to Bob Brindley. Huh. Okay. Well, good Squatch news. Him? Jason Kipnis went to Arizona mm -hmm. State. He's going to be with us on the post-game show later for World Series Game 4. It's going to be crazy. Hopefully, I make my flight and I'll be on it with you guys up north. Uh, Ken's back tomorrow and Lance Lynn. Cool. Well, we will uh, talk to everyone then. Enjoy Game 4 and also get ready for those Player Choice Awards show uh, on the off day on Thursday. And FT is with you after every single World Series game for the realest post-game show out there. Thanks, everyone. Enjoy the game. Hey, get in on the action with the FT fam at BetMGM. New customers use the bonus code FOUL, F-O-U-L, for a $1,500 first bet offer. Download the BetMGM Sportsbook app on iOS or Android or visit BetMGM.com. Sign up and deposit at least $10 into your BetMGM Sportsbook account. Place your first wager and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if the bet loses. If that bet does lose, your bonus bets will be available once your initial wager is settled. Gambling problem or concern? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.